Hi, my name is Wendy Weber. And my name is BJ Neal. Welcome to Nobody Chooses Homelessness. A podcast dedicated to changing the cultural narratives about homelessness and shedding light on how we can mobilize to be a part of the solution. In this podcast, we'll talk to everyday people, experts, entrepreneurs, and activists who are helping their unhoused neighbors find their way home again. We work for City Relief, a nonprofit organization dedicated to serving people facing extreme poverty and homelessness. City Relief shows up weekly as a mobile outreach offering people free meals, supplies, and connection to resources for housing, employment, and health care. More importantly, we offer people friendship, community, and belonging. We both have years of experience working systematically and on the ground to end homelessness. We believe that in order to end homelessness, it's going to take a holistic approach with people from all walks of life helping their neighbors in need. Hello, BJ. Hello, Wendy. I'm so glad to be here with you. And I wanted to start by asking, how did you come into working in this area? Oh, man. So years ago, I graduated Bible school and I went to do an internship at a very large church in the city. And there was a group of people struggling with homelessness that would literally just sit and live out literally right outside of the church. It The church had like a little like, I don't even know how to describe it, but it had this little overhead kind of thing yeah. that they could live under that was right over top of the front doors that when it rained, they wouldn't get rained on. And, you know, the people of the church were kinder. They would come in for services and you know, and so this little community just kind of formed around the church's front step and or the church, the front of the church there. And I just started talking with them and spending time with them. And I used to talk at them. And then I just noticed I was like, yeah, I'm always standing mm. and they're sitting or, and or laying at, or like they're on the ground, like, I just don't feel like this is what Jesus would do. And so I just got down there with them and just started sitting and talking and hours would fly by. And then one day there was one guy in particular that I, I was spending time with anybody that was out there that was willing to spend time with me and let me sit and talk with them. But there was one gentleman in particular that as I was spending time with him one day we had just got finished like having a conversation about God and going back and forth and it was really good he was really awesome and he wasn't Christian he was a uh, atheist but we were just talking about stuff and we were talking and laughing and having a good time and out of nowhere he just turned and looked at me and he was like you know I don't need to be homeless hmm. and I was just like well yeah like, absolutely. If you don't, like, you don't, like, there's, I don't know all the resources, but we can figure some stuff. He was like, no, like, I actually don't. Like, I have money. I'm a veteran and I have money in a bank account. I just haven't been tried to access the bank account in a long time. I came out here because of my depression after his wife had died, after he was like, after my wife died. But when he, he was like, but talking to you has healed me. Mm. Yeah. He was, and 
I, if you don't mind just helping me connect to that bank account, I can just get an apartment. Like, I actually don't need to be here anymore. So I did not know what to do whatsoever. I had no idea how to help him. And so I started like asking around and nobody knew anything. Within a matter, I told him the next time I saw him that I was still trying to figure out how to help him because I really just didn't know what to do. And he had this look like, okay, it's, it's no big deal. He was just like, thank you though. Like, and he thanked me and I was like, okay. So I left, went back, didn't see him for months. And then one day I was walking down the street with the woman who was now my wife. At that point we were dating and I'm literally in the middle of the street around 50th street in Manhattan, not far from Times Square. Yeah, yeah. And I'm in the middle of the street and all of a sudden that hand reaches out and grabs me in the middle of the street. And I'm like, what is about to happen? And so I turn around and it's this really clean, like, you know what I mean? Looks so good, like, like guy. And he's like, do you remember me? And I'm like, no. <laughs> I don't think, I, not only do I not remember you, I don't think I know you. Yeah. And he walked with us across the street. He was just like, no, you do, you know me. And he was like, I'm the guy, like we used to talk. And I was like, oh my God. I was like, man, you look amazing. <laughs> like you look great, how are you doing? He was just like, I'm good. I got back in touch with my family. I got back a hold of my bank account. I'm, I'm living in my own apartment. And he thanked me right there in front of my wife. It was just like, if it wasn't for you taking the time to just talk with me, then I never would have, I never would have changed or, or been able to change my situation. I didn't realize that all I needed was that. And thank you. And I never saw him. Wow. And that, those experiences, but that one in particular, like really sold me yeah. on what I felt, I felt that God was calling me to do. Amazing. So, I yeah. love that story. Yeah. Thank you. And if I can toss the same question right back to you, what, uh, what do you think brought you into this line of work? So I just celebrated 30 years being out of college. So do the math. <laughs> okay, okay, okay. And all of that has been in the nonprofit sector. Wow. And more than half of that, a lot of those years have been in development and communications. So fundraising for nonprofits and helping to market them. And I kind of looked back a couple of years ago and I noticed that the jobs that I found the most joy in, the most passion in, were organizations that were serving men and women who were experiencing marginalization in a number of different ways in a variety of arenas. And I realized that I was finding meaning from an organization who was working in some manner to to transform lives, to better lives, to, to help bring a light onto people experiencing marginalization, there's always an overlooking yeah. of people in that situation. And so I, I really leaned into that. I also looked back, you know, when you turn 50, you look back over your life. That's what you're supposed to do. So I did that. And I also realized I had opportunities to interact with people groups 
different, very different than me. So in college, I worked at a camp that was for children and adults with both learning disabilities and physical disabilities. And being among a population of people that I hadn't been with before, Yay. it changed it from an unknown other to a, a group of human beings that were part of my work. And it, it opened up a tiny segment of society. Another, um, another time in college, I was with an, a group that went into a prison here in New Jersey, actually, and we were that we brought music and I think we were praying. This is years and years ago. But I walked out thinking, oh, here's a, no, a whole other population of gentlemen who are imprisoned who I never would have thought and, uh, that I had anything in common. I walked out going, oh, these are human beings. And so I realized that the more I put myself in situations with people that I felt like I had nothing in common with, the more it opened up my life and, and my experience and my humanity. Wow. And so I was in an organization before this doing similar work as City Relief, working with men and women experiencing homelessness, and the opportunity to sit down with some women who were in a residential program and interview them for marketing materials. Yeah. And sitting across the table from a woman and asking questions about, so tell me your story and what led you to your period of homelessness and what changed that for you. And hearing stories in which I could see myself, not every part of every story, but at some part of all of the stories, I'd be able to say, oh, I, I, I get that part. I, I've experienced that exact thing. And again, finding humanity with each other and ending up, I don't know, being in a place where we are just two people talking to one another. And I would love it if I had always felt like I was looking at everyone and their humanity and the, the sameness of us or the level playing field of us. But I, I, I was not. And I'm so I'm grateful that over the years, I continue to have experiences that open up my mind and I'm and open up my eyes to the idea of Everyone deserves dignity and working with organizations that lean into that, treating people with dignity and now being a part of City Relief in an organization that really is cutting edge on treating people with respect and dignity and trying to bring that to a higher level in the public consciousness yeah. has been really satisfying for me. The solution to homelessness can seem overwhelming, but we are on the ground every day doing our part. You can do your part by leaving us a comment and review. Share this episode with a friend and you can start to shift the narrative around homelessness. No, that's awesome. As I'm listening to you, I'm thinking about how you're, you've had the opportunity to serve in various different groups that are marginalized and disenfranchised and things of that nature. And I, and I hear you talking about this, just the, the part of that just comes with that of people being overlooked, right? Like regardless of where they are, I guess, how do you segue that? Like we're talking about, when we're talking about homelessness and what is the probably biggest takeaway you've been working, whether with City Relief or even before City Relief, you've been working for a number of years now with organizations that directly serve the population with regards to homelessness. What has been the most, maybe the most impactful part of that? First of all, what's your role here? So I'm the director of development, and that 
basically means raising the money yes. so to make things go. Yeah. And there's a lot of joy in that. And I can talk about why there's yeah. a lot of joy in that position. Yeah. But there's so many impactful moments. One that stands out to me right now, because it's not so far in the past, was an experience I had during COVID. And so since the last two years are kind of just a meld yeah. of time-space continuum, it seems like it just happened. So I'll tell you that story. So I was working in an organization, again, serving men and women experiencing homelessness here in New York City, changed overnight from bustling 8 million people running around to dystopian, empty streets. I mean, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Walking through the Oculus, empty. Driving through the streets, empty. Tunnels and bridges, empty. And it was just felt so eerie yeah. and strange. Zombie time. Standing on subway sta- subway platforms, empty. It was very bizarre for everyone, for everyone, right? And we continued to serve. There were a number of organizations that had to close their doors. They weren't able to continue to serve whatever population was using their services. Then there were some organizations that continued to open their doors and serve and had to pivot the way they served. So yeah. people who were serving food, you couldn't have people come inside your building anymore. Yeah. You had to take your food outside. So pivoting that way. And so the organization I was working for at the time, that's exactly what was happening. So we had, we were seeing an influx of people who had never come to a place for food before. People who were all of the sudden out of work and all of the sudden food insecure and all of the sudden either experiencing homelessness or being on the brink. They were definitely housing insecure. And there was a day when, and we, we had long lines, especially because we were trying our hardest to keep people six feet apart from each other, to come to an outdoor stand and receive a bag of food and move on. And I was standing there thinking, here are men and women, human beings, standing in the rain for an hour for a sandwich. It just was something that changed. It changed in me that I've always wanted to work for organizations like this. I enjoy the work I do, raising money and everything that comes with that. But there was something about that moment when I thought, I want to be part of where I want to lean into organizations and be able to see the way lives are being changed in a new way. I am all in now. It, feel, it felt more like a just a calling in a way it never had before yeah. because something about my humanity switched that day. Wow. Yeah. That's super valuable. Yeah, yeah. Bad. So how about you? Like probably what is most impactful. Yes. Share the power. What, yeah. what, what are some powerful moments that, that you can kind of mark? Yeah, there's been a lot of powerful moments during my time in uh, in the last organization I was in. I had been promoted to supervisor and my boss at the time was incredible man. And he had taught me so much and poured so much life into me. And he kind of got promoted and ended up moving into that, leaving me to kind of oversee this building that had 50 to 60 men living in it that were all trying to recover for the most part from a drug or alcohol addiction of some kind and or at the very least just trying to get their life back on track and I was this early 20 something basically left to who had just been recently promoted within a month I got promoted and a month later he ended up moving on 
And I remember I had this terrible anxiety attack because I was so just afraid that I wasn't going to be able to lead those men who in reality had experienced so much more of life than I had. And I knew that and wasn't running from it, wasn't trying to make it like I'd experienced what they've experienced. Part of my story is that I've experienced homelessness with my mother and two sisters. Kind of, we were going from church to church at one point when things got really tough, um, staying at different churches because we couldn't afford our living situation. But even that, there were, there's still, even having experienced that, there's still some things that I haven't been through. And so leading this group of men who all, for the most part, have a level of experience that I did not have, especially in my early 20s, I'm like, two years out of I Bible remember, school. I remember. Yes, yes, yes. Absolutely. And I was a little pistol. <laughs> I would just, I right. would just say Use stuff. That word. Yep. Yeah, 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 yeah. But I remember that I, one thing that I will never forget that my mentor taught me was that it really wasn't about simply being a good leader or as a Christian, being a, a good minister. It, it was really about being a good person and that he basically told me flat out that no one ever wondered whether I was going to be a good leader or whether I would even be a good minister or whether I would be a good anything. He said, what people wonder is what kind of person you're going to be mm -hmm. and to focus there. And so I just ended up in the end, like I prayed about it and I was like, okay, I'm just going to focus on what I know to do. And that's connecting with people. And so I just started meeting with the men one-on-one -on -one as often as I could. I set up some programs and to create more communication between our department and the clinical department. And I did my very best to really just bond with the men. And I remember when I was getting married and I had to leave because my hours needed to change. I needed to work mornings and I was primarily working three to 11 at the time. And I had to announce it to the men. I was terrified of doing this because I lived on site with them. I would, they were literally family. I loved those men and I knew that those men loved me and I knew that it was going to be really hard for me and them. And when the most powerful moment I think I have ever had in this line of work is when I announced to them that I was leaving and they all stood up and cried and told me how much they loved me. And it shaped me for sure. Like it, it taught me how much connection matters. It taught me how important it is to not simply provide services, that it can't stop there. Like that there has to be something beyond that. And honestly, I think that there is an undefinable quality even beyond the human connection. There's an undefinable quality that's beyond, that's far beyond services. And that's a quality, that's something that really God has to do in a person and that we have to be willing to let him do in us and be willing to be a vessel that he can use to connect with somebody. There's a song, it says, uh, Christ has no body now but yours, no hands, no feet on earth but yours. Yours are the eyes through which he sees, yours are the feet through which he walks, yours are the hands 
through which he blesses all the world. And I think it's that idea that in that moment, I realized that through living with them and loving them and having difficult conversations with them and still being there to love them again afterwards, it really wasn't as much about me changing their lives afterwards. That's what I thought it was about. But in reality, God was using them to change mine. This podcast is sponsored by City Relief. We are a nonprofit dedicated to connecting people who are experiencing homelessness and poverty to food, clothing, and vital resources they need to survive. We show up week after week on New York City and New Jersey streets, regardless of the weather, providing meals and community to those who feel forgotten. We can only do this because of the generosity of everyday people like you who want to see a world where our homeless neighbors are cared for. To find out how you can give and make a real impact on homelessness, click the link in the description of this episode. So that speaks to all of the experiences of our lives, both amazingly profound like that, where it's small and unnoticed over time, coming together to make you the person you are and also to bring you to the place that you're working and the place that you're called to. And you mentioned that you yourself experienced homelessness. Yeah. So how did that, when you think about, you can talk more about what that was like and how that made you, was another part of creating the man that you are today. Yeah, so I think that there, I remember we, at one point when we were jumping from shelter to shelter, we would kind of, we really couldn't stay in any one location for, for very long. And so we were going from one place to the next. It was like a system of churches kind of thing. And they just had us, we stayed in one church and then we stayed in another church's like almost attic. And then we stayed in another one and then in another one. And we just kind of were jumped around for a little while. Yeah. I remember one day, the place we were staying, people would volunteer to cook meals for us and, and bring the meals. And the school I was going to was nearby this church. And I remember, like it was yesterday, the family that was serving us food, they asked where we went to school. We told them, and the mother of the family was like, oh, my son goes to the same school as you. Like, and was very happy to, oh, you guys can be friends. I was mortified mm -hmm. because now there's someone at school that knows that I am homeless and I am not this person at school, like this person that like needs somebody to cook a meal for them. Otherwise, he's not going to have a meal today. And I think you know, I'm thankful that our situation didn't really last very long. Thankful for our family that stepped in later on. But yeah, there is a, uh, there is a stripping away of dignity that happens when you're in a situation where you need other people to help you. It, it takes a lot to ask for help. It takes quite a lot. And I think that that's one of the things that has defined my work, even like after my time at the drug and alcohol rehabilitation area, I ended up overseeing, being a part of overseeing, and then for a short time, fully overseeing a around 200 bed shelter. And yeah, it, it definitely influenced the way that I dealt with homelessness there, the way that I treated them, the way that I spoke to them, the way that I spoke to the people there, because I understood that this is difficult for you. 
you know, this is not, you're not here because you want to be. You're here because you have to be. And so my effort and my desire was always to make sure that they never walked away from a conversation with me, feeling like they weren't served and cared for. I remember there was a woman recently on our outreach. We were at SDR Park and she came up to the outreach and she, we were told she was coming by our follow-up team because she needed to drop something off that we needed to hand off to them. When she got to the outreach, she immediately went to just talking to us. And uh, as she was talking, she began to just say, yeah, because I'm not like other people. I, I'm not lazy. Like I, I'm, I'm doing this, I'm doing that. And began to talk about all the things she was working on. And then she would be like, yeah, but I, I have to stay at this shelter for now. But I'm working on these things and this thing and this thing. and. I remember I waited, I let her finish. And the moment she was done, I looked at her and there were a few other staff members present. And I was like, do you mind if I say something? And she was like, yes. And I was like, okay. It was like, anyone who has met you for the first time can look at you and listen to you speak and tell the type of work ethic and dignity and effort that you put in. You know, you don't need to convince us, right? We can tell what kind of person you are. Like we can see it and not just us, anybody can see it. It's their choice if they acknowledge it. And this woman broke down crying. She, she wept like a child for that moment and hugged her and prayed and prayed for her and everything. And in reality, we, at that moment, didn't even help her with anything that day, right? Like our organization had an ongoing relationship with her, but, and so she was there to drop something off so that we could help her with stuff. But that day, the only thing that mattered was just her knowing that she does. And that's been my, that's probably the biggest takeaway from my experience with homelessness. Yeah, I mean, it's reminding me of just the, the pervasive stigma around homelessness and the pervasive stereotypes and lies around homelessness. As you know, our CEO, Josiah Haken, wrote a book. And in the book, he talks about the main lies of homelessness. And I think that it's interesting that there's a woman who was experiencing for a time being in temporary housing and she herself being so aware of what the default assumption about her was going to be. Yeah. And trying to combat it. All, yes, try to yeah. get to everyone she meets, to people that she's working with, or mm -hmm. working with her and helping her get to the next place yeah, uh, and yeah. having to combat that all the time. And, and we were also talking earlier about a greeting in another language that translates from, if I come up to you, I say, I see you. And your response is, because you see me, I am here. And talking about people who do not feel seen. And we have, you and I have both experienced that and when men and women, especially experiencing homelessness, especially street homelessness, mm -hmm. are profoundly not seen yeah. and profoundly feel forgotten yeah. and pushed aside and marginalized. And that's, that is something that is trauma that, they're, that people are experiencing because we live within this stigma that this person is other. Yeah. Talk about it. That's, yeah. That's good. Mm -hmm. I think that there needs to be larger conversation. And I think we're, by even you bringing this up, we're getting into like 
kind of why I really want to be a part of this mm-hmm. podcast and, mm-hmm. and why we're doing it. But yeah. I think that there needs to be bigger conversations on why this is still a problem. Yeah. I think that part of the reasons why homelessness is different than any other marginalized community and different than any other disenfranchised community is that it is the community that lacks the number one resource, money. It is the community that lacks it the greatest. And you, I don't know, we've all heard the expression most likely, I know you have, money talks, right? And so if you don't have money, then you also kind of don't have a voice, right? And so it's actually very easy to lose track of of the issue of homelessness and just kind of keep it moving. And the only issues where we end up actually hearing about and talking about are the issues where there is enough money to get it in front of you, Mm -hmm. enough money to get it to where people are talking about it. But because this is a community that, that doesn't, yeah, that is largely suffering from their lack of financial resources to the point that they can't just put a down payment on an apartment and fix their problem. They need help to get out of their current situation. And so I think that lends itself to why it's, it's such an unseen or why, why it's such a profound unseenness that I, I would say. And I think that even more, I think our place in the, in the grand scheme of this problem, I think that our place is that our goal is to be able to make people aware is to make sure that people do start talking about this, yeah. that people do start thinking about this more, that I want, to, I want to make it, and I would love to hear your thoughts on this as well. I want to make it, my goal here is to make it so that when a person listens to this podcast and walks outside their door that, and they see someone, whether on the subway or whether opening, holding a door open for them as they go into a store, hoping that they'll come out and give them some change. Whatever it is, whatever your interaction with is, your interaction is with homelessness. I'm hoping that when you see that person, that you see them differently, that you're not looking at them the same way that you always have, that this is changing the narrative, that it's changing the conversation, even with even the inward conversation, the, inter, the inner conversation, a lot of times we don't even realize that we're not talking to anybody about this problem, that it's really an inner conversation that we're having with the way that we've been conditioned to think about it. And the conditioning ends up winning the argument every time. And so we're never having, there is no dialogue on this at all. And so my goal is to just create the dialogue, like is to get people thinking and to even get people talking amongst themselves and, and wondering what they can do differently. If you live in New York or New Jersey or technically anywhere, and you'd like to volunteer with us, click on the link in the description of this episode. Absolutely. And City Relief, I feel like is really moving forward in two distinct areas. One is bringing about um, life-changing connections to resources and bringing dignity to a group of people who, have, who are not treated with dignity. The other is helping change the narrative of homelessness, yeah. as you said, among housed people. And I feel like it is very uncomfortable to take a look at 
someone struggling in a way that you cannot imagine yeah. and that you never imagined you will when there, there are so many tenuous situations that we're in that can change our lives drastically. But to lean into that from a house perspective can be very challenging. And once you start having the conversation, it's almost like once you see the thing, you can't unsee it. Yeah. So I start having a conversation with someone and then I walk from the Path Train Report Authority in New York to my office and I'm passing the same couple who is there next to California Pizza Kitchen on the corner. Yeah. I can't unsee that these are human beings sitting there and having conversations and sometimes sleeping next to each other and sometimes talking to one another yes. and that these are people. And it changes something inside of you and it's uncomfortable, <laughs> but it does open up. It opens you up to be able to say, is there something then I can do? Yes. You know what? I actually need to add because of you, Wendy, this is your fault. Because of you, I need to add to my last statement. There is one other thing I really want to come out of this podcast. I want people to get comfortable talking about privilege. Mm. I want people to get comfortable. Talk about it. Because in reality, there are levels to privilege, mm -hmm. right? Like, so I have a privilege as being a man with a job, with a house, with a place to go home to, that there's a privilege associated with that and that there are levels to privilege. I want us, because it really that uncomfortability that you're talking about there is really people, me, you, anybody else, because we've all felt it, right? Like when we're before we've got, before me or you decided to be a part of what we're doing, we've had those moments. And sometimes even while we're doing the work, absolutely, we have yeah. those moments where we are uncomfortable because we realize that we have opportunities that this person does not have. And the usual thing that we do when we feel that uncomfortability is that we look away from it. We don't want to stare it in the face because it's a mirror. And it's a mirror that is at almost talking back to us, asking us, yes, yes, you have had opportunities. You have had blessings. You have been fortunate in your life to not end up in this situation because somewhere deep within us, we know that they are human and that they're just like us, that actually the they and them, that all of that really weird looking at a mirror whenever we look at somebody that is on the streets, like there's something about us that actually already knows that. And that's why we feel uncomfortable. And then right before we turn away, we put a cap on that or we can't, by that inter internal dialogue you were talking about, where we decide that that person must have done something yeah. to choose yeah. or deserve exactly yeah. where they're sitting yeah. on a piece of cardboard on the yeah. sidewalk. Yeah. And that we continue, you and I in our work, and many people continue to fight again, those stereotypes that actually make us feel better about the separation of human beings who are living outside on a sidewalk or in a park bench and human beings who are housed, it, right? I, and I think that that right there, Wendy, is a natural human behavior. And it's an evil one. It's wrong if we're right, but if we're honest, but it's something that we all do where when we are faced with our inaction, when we come face to face with ourself, yeah. there is a natural tendency to try to change the focus, to get the focus off of ourselves yes. 
and to put the focus on something else and say, no, I'm not the problem. This is the problem. The problem is that they, they shouldn't be just sitting there. If they can sit there and hold a cup in their hands, then they could stand behind a counter and work a cash register thinking that it's that simple. This person actually has the ability to get up from that place, walk into a grocery store, ask for a job and be given one that, that, that it literally is that simple when it's not. And we really already know that it's not, but it's only human nature. It's a natural tendency that we have, that we all have to try to get away from these hard conversations. And I don't think that homelessness is the only thing we do this with, oh. right? I think that this is the, the age-old battle of self-awareness. It's the age-old fight to actually become legitimately self-aware, to acknowledge our, of our effect on our surroundings and the effect that our, our lack of change or, or, or the effect that we have when we just don't do anything about a problem that we see. And that's really the battle that self-awareness is. Self-awareness is about us acknowledging the effect we have or the effect we didn't. Hey, you. Yes, you, listener. Have you ever been walking down the street and someone who appeared unhoused approached you and asked for money? Or do you ever walk to the train in the morning and see someone holding a sign asking for help? What do you do? Well, don't worry, we are here to help. Click the link in the description of this episode for a quick, easy-to-use guide packed with helpful tips for how to engage with your neighbors experiencing homelessness.